and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important in our lives today. I'm your local mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm very pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. I've been thinking a lot about the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, which was this past Wednesday, the 28th. What a remarkable event. Over 200,000 people, black and white, young and old, all converging on the mall at the foot of the Lincoln Memorial, where they very forcefully and yet peacefully called for change. That event you know, signaled the beginning of a transformation in our country that can't be reversed. And although it's still underway, a tremendous amount of progress has been made. I think I probably heard bits and pieces of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech a half a dozen times in the last couple of weeks, and it still really moves me. To think about what it takes to be persecuted and to remain nonviolent or how we can witness injustice and turn our outrage into a powerful catalyst for change. This is the thing that I've been thinking about. And so, of course, I turn to our shared stories for some ideas or insight about this, because they are our teachers' windows and even good medicine to heal what ails us. Anger is a really tricky emotion, and there are lots of things to get angry about these days, I think, or at least I'm finding it very easy to either get mad or get sad about a lot of things that I'm seeing in our culture. And I think it's important that we respond to the strong emotions that we have. One of my heroes, environmental activist and writer Edward Abbey, once said that sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. And I have taken this very much to heart. But the question is then, how do we do that? How do we make anger useful and transformative? It's part of our passion for life, and it comes from the desire or the need to protect something or someone dear to us. But as we all know, it can also be super destructive. You can burn yourself up in it. It can become bitterness that eats away at you. And even the outrage If it doesn't turn into fuel for action in some way or another, can just become this endless, compulsive, self-righteous loop that presents its own problems. (laughs) So there's this Japanese folktale that I like called the Crescent Moon Bear, and that's the story that I'm going to tell today. My version is paraphrased from a version of the story that is found in Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And Estes connects this tale to the problem of rage and forgiveness and the role that these play in healing our wounds and those of others, even the wounds of the world. So I invite you to sit back, relax, and see where the story takes you. The moments in this tale that grab your interest can tell you something about how this story may be operating in your life today.
the crescent moon bear. Once upon a time, there was a young woman who lived in a fragrant pine forest at the base of a mountain. Her husband had been away at the wars for many years, and when she heard that he was finally coming home, she was overjoyed. The young woman shopped and cooked and cleaned, and she got everything ready for his arrival. But when her husband reached the edge of the trees that surrounded their little home, he refused to come any closer. He stayed outside at the edge of the forest. So after a little while, the young wife gathered up the bowls of food that she had prepared, put them on a tray, and shyly carried them out to him. She laid all of the dishes out and beautifully in front of him. They included many of his favorites. But her husband kicked the food over and yelled at her. Go away, he roared, and just leave me alone. Get away from me. Well, the young wife was very shaken and upset, and she went back to the house. But the next day, she made more food, and she again took it out to her husband. But the same thing happened. He kicked it over and roared at her to leave him alone. Now this went on for a while. The husband would not come inside or eat her food. He was much more comfortable with the ground after his many years away. And he had obviously seen a great deal in his years in the war. So the young woman got very discouraged. One morning, she went out to the outskirts of the village to the hut of the local healer. This old woman invited her inside and asked her about her troubles. Take a seat, said the healer, and tell me, my child, how can I help you? It's my husband, said the young woman. Ever since he came home from the wars, he is very changed. He won't come into the house. I cook for him, and he won't eat. I wonder if you could make me a special potion that will make him gentle and loving again. He was once a marvelous husband, and I'm sure that he can be again. The old healer thought about this for a moment, and then she said, Yes, well, I can make you such a potion, but there's one little hitch. I am all out of the most important ingredient. I need a hair from the moon on the throat of the crescent moon bear. If I'm to make you such a a potion, you will have to go and, and get me a hair from the throat of this bear. Well, where do I find the bear? asked the young woman. And the healer pointed to the snowy peaks of mountains far off in the distance. Another woman might have been completely discouraged and despairing at this news. It was going to be a very long journey and presumably a very difficult task. But this young woman loved her husband very much. 
and she was glad that there was a solution to her problem. So without another word, she went back to her home, packed up a few things, and immediately set off for the mountaintops and the bear. At first, the walking was quite easy. But then she came to a boulder field with rocks as large as huge loaves of bread. Aragatu Sashu, she said, as she crossed the rocks. Thank you for letting me cross. Then she came to a thick forest of pine trees with drooping branches full of leaves shaped like little stars. Aragatu, Sashu, she said again, and the trees lifted their branches up for her to walk beneath them. Now the way got much more difficult. The mountain got steeper and steeper, and the rocks got sharper and sharper. The young woman cut her hands, and scratchy, thorny little plants grabbed at her clothes and tore them. But she kept going. Aragatu Sashu, she said. And then just as dusk began to fall, and the darkness started to close in around her, a flock of large, dusky birds swooped down around her, circling her head. The birds frightened the young women. She knew that they were the spirits of people who did not have relatives to bury them. I will be your relative, she said to the birds. And they flew away. Now snow began to fall, and the wind blew hard. The young woman's clothes got heavy with the snow. It blew into her eyes and her ears and her mouth. Aragatu Sashu, she said. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, she reached the mountaintop. Groping her way through the wet darkness, she found a little hollow in the ground just big enough to fold her body into. Although she had a pack full of food, she did not eat anything, but simply crawled into the little hollow, pulled her clothes up around her, and fell asleep. The sun was shining when the young woman woke up the next morning, and she could even see little green plants poking up here and there through the snow. She got up, stretched, and set out to find the crescent moon bear. The young woman walked all day. Near evening, she found a huge pile of scat and heard a low, rumbling growl. Just off in the distance, she could see the bear lumbering into a cave. The young woman took off her pack and made a bowl of food. Then very carefully and quietly, she crept near the mouth of the cave and set the bowl down. Then she turned and ran back to her own little hollow without looking back. The bear smelled the food. He came to his doorway and looked around. 
he cautiously sniffed the air. Finally, he approached the bowl and circled it several times when he was sure, absolutely sure, that there was no threat. He gobbled the food in one gulp and went back into his cave. The next day, the woman made another bowl of food, and she again crept close to the cave, as close as she dared, a little bit closer this time, and left another bowl of food. The bear again came to his doorway. He sniffed. He smelled the food, and he did another cautious survey and then gobbled it down. The same thing happened the following day, and the day after that, and the day after that. Every day, the woman left a bowl of food for the bear, and every day, she stayed just a little bit closer to the cave. Her food was almost gone, and she was getting fairly close to the cave. She decided that the time had come. The young woman took a deep breath, screwed up her courage, and she made another bowl of food. As usual, she set it down near the mouth of the cave, but this time she didn't hide. She stood right next to the doorway. The crescent moon bear emerged, and he saw the bowl of food. He also saw a pair of very small human feet. The bear roared so loud that the woman felt the rocks rumble. She was very scared, but she did not move. The bear stood up on his hind legs and loomed over her. The tips of his long claws glanced the top of her head. He growled and snarled and showed his teeth. The woman was shaking like a leaf. Her knees were clacking together so hard the bones might crack, but she didn't run. In a very small voice, she said, Please, dear bear, I have come all this way to see you, and I have fed you all these nights because I need a cure for my husband. Please, help me. The bear dropped back down onto all fours and looked the woman hard in the face. She would be so easy to kill. One swipe of his mighty paws would break her neck. But he felt sorry for her. The woman looked into the bear's brown eyes and suddenly she saw every village, every town, every life flash in an instant, the whole round of the world. And suddenly, she was at peace. What do you need? asked the bear. I need one hair, just one hair, from the crescent moon at your throat, she answered. The bear thought a moment and said, Okay, you can have one hair, but take it and be quick about it. Get it and run. The bear raised his head, and the woman put one hand on his throat. 
She could feel his heart beating and the blood pounding in his veins. With the other hand, she grasped a hair and yanked. The bear growled. She had the hair. Thank you, oh, thank you, oh, thank you, said the woman, bowing. The bear growled and roared loud and deep and shook his head. And the woman remembered his instructions, and she turned and ran. She ran and ran. She tumbled down the steep mountainside with the sharp rocks and the prickly plants. Aragato Sashu, she said. She raced under the trees with their drooping branches. Aragato Zasho, she said. She climbed carefully over the boulders as large as loaves of bread. Aragato Zashu, Aragato Zashu. Finally, the young woman reached the edge of the village. Her hair was a mess. Her clothing was torn and dirty, but she didn't stop. She went straight to the hut of the healer and knocked on the door. The old woman answered and let her in. I got it! I got it! said the young woman. I brought a hair from the moon on the throat of the crescent moon bear. She held out the hair. Why, said the healer, it looks like a genuine crescent moon bear hair. She took the hair and weighed it in her hand. She held it up to the light. She smiled and said, Congratulations, my dear. You have succeeded. Then with a quick flick of the wrist, she tossed the hair into the fire, and it burned up, poof, in an instant. Oh, no! What have you done? cried the young woman. What have you just done with the hair? And the healer said, My dear, do you remember the journey that you just made? Yes, said the young woman. I remember every step. And do you remember, said the healer, all that happened with the bear? Yes, the young woman said. I remember. Well, said the healer, now go home to your husband with what you have learned. Well, what have we learned? We could start with the nature of the bear. The bear is a wonderful metaphor for anger. Wonderful metaphor because it's very powerful and potentially destructive. But the bear has long been a symbol of the protective instinct. And in using a bear as anger, we're reminded that the roots of our anger most often come from that instinct to protect, to protect ourselves and to protect others. We have an instinct in that direction, which in another context we might claim is the best of our human capacities. But like any kind of instinct, it can be blind. 
it can there can be a lashing out and yet it's also connected to our compassion the bear feels sorry for the woman and so he lets her have the hair the bear is also connected mythologically to cycles to the notion of cycles because of its annual need to hibernate and this reinforces one of the other messages of the story which is that it takes a tremendous amount of patience to court our anger and then when you notice that the woman feeds it this isn't a story that tells us to repress our anger this is a story that tells us to feed it but to feed it very cautiously and very carefully with the idea of cultivating it being able to turn it into that which will give us what we need now in the story the bear is a stand-in for the young husband who's come back psychologically damaged from the wars and this point is made explicitly by the healer when the young woman gets back and is instructed to take what she's learned now and go and approach her husband in a new way. And there's that element of patience again. We see that the young woman, for all of her loving attention to the husband, that she had a certain expectation that everything was going to be okay because she didn't really appreciate what he had gone through. On the one hand, we can't really expect that she would have. She wasn't in the wars. But this does remind us that when we are attempting to deal with the suffering of others, we have to exercise our imagination and a great deal of patience because people's wounds can run very deep. Now, we also know that we can consider the young husband and the bear as an aspect of ourselves, as our own anger. So now another thing that uh, strikes me about this story is that the woman's first task or move is to make a journey. She leaves. She doesn't stay in a little room fighting it out with the husband or under the tree, the husband's tree. You know, they don't start throwing bowls at each other. She leaves. So one of the first steps, the story tells us, is to get some distance, to disengage without completely, again, repressing or forgetting. And the idea of going up on top of a mountain is associated with the perspective that you get from being up high and being able to see, and also the move into spirit. So we're being told here that the first step when you're engaged with a real rage is to take a little journey, move away from it a little bit, and adopt a perspective that is broader and higher. On the way, on the, there are several things happen uh, that are worth noting. One of them is the various obstacles that this woman has to encounter. And, of course, we know, because this story, like life, (laughs) is like life, um, nothing's easy. And we don't just decide to get higher and finer about what's going on with us and then 
float up to the top. No, we've got to struggle. We've got to climb over things. There are obstacles. And the woman shows us a good way to deal with that. She says, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me get past. Thank you for whatever it is you're teaching me. Pinkola Estes connects this phrase with the Buddhist notion of illusion. And she says that Arigato Zasho basically means thank you for letting me pass. But there's also this idea that everything that she is encountering as a challenge is an illusion. And that as she moves through them, her illusions are falling away. And these would be illusions about herself, about the difficulty she's encountering, about the husband that she is attempting to court. As the woman loses her illusions, she is left with one thing, and that is her love, her love for her husband. As we're told numerous times at the beginning of the story, that it's out of love that she acts. And it is out of love, ultimately, that we all act. Here again, we have that connection between anger and outrage and the desire to protect something valuable. So I want to wrap this up with one last thing from Estes in Women Who Run, Women Who Run With the Wolves. She says, In Zen, the moment the hare is thrown into the fire and the healer speaks her simple words, That is the moment of true enlightenment. Notice that enlightenment doesn't occur on the mountain. So remember I said the mountain is a place of spiritual aspiration and spirit, but that isn't where the enlightenment comes from. It occurs, Estes says, when the burning of the hair, because when the hair is burned, the illusion that there is some sort of magical cure disappears. The woman realizes, as we all must, that there is no silver bullet, that the answer lies in implementing day-to-day what we know. It's about practice. Or as we like to say these days, it's about showing up. So I have a request to make of those of you who do live up here in the high desert an opportunity for you to show up. On Saturday, September 7th, that's next Saturday, there's going to be a public meeting at the Yucca Valley Community Center from 9 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon. And it's an opportunity to make public comments on the Desert Renewable Energy Conservation Plan. There are going to be representatives from the BLM, from the California Energy Commission, from the Fish and Wildlife folks and San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors on hand to hear from us what solar and wind development in the Mojave would mean, what it would mean for our way of life, what it would mean for the things that we love here in the desert. It's very, very important that as many of us as possible come to talk about what is worth saving and protecting here in our desert for ourselves and for others. So there are lots of ways that you can get educated about what's in this plan, 
And if you would like to get information from me, I invite you to do that. You can contact me on Facebook through Myth in the Mojave or feel free to email me at mythicmojo at gmail.com. I certainly hope that you'll consider showing up on Saturday, September 7th, 9 to 1 at the Yucca Valley Community Center. So, my friends, that is it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. I'm also very happy to take your questions about mythology at Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or mythicmojo at gmail.com. A reminder that you can find this story and many others like it online at www.catherinesavela.com. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music, and many thanks to you for listening. Please tune in again next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive. (laughs) 